This is episode 203, and we are here with Alfie and Brent tonight. We're going to have a great conversation. Um, I'm here to talk about all things celebration, um, which I can't believe has been already a couple of weeks uh, ago. And um, I suppose I've got some thoughts on The Mandalorian. But gentlemen, how are you guys doing tonight? I'm all good, man. I was just thinking because the draft is going on. I feel like we were at ICCC this time last year because I feel like it was at the end of April. Um, this year it's going to be at the end of May just because of the change of venue. So I just kind of had – I remember watching the draft at uh, Nick Shesky's in-law's house as we were eating dinner. That's right. We did do that. I yeah. wondered how you were going to tie the draft into this, and now, yes, I remember doing that. It was an ICCC, my friend. Yeah. I I remember that too. I, I can't remember. When was Celebration Anaheim last year? Was that before or after ICCC? I'm pretty sure it was after. Maybe. Must, a, I think it was after. Pretty pretty close, right? Because I'm pretty sure that I went to ICCC and then yeah. it was afterwards that I went, oh, I guess I have another convention in less than a year in London because a friend, <laughs> you know, the, the whole reason that I knew that I was going I don't, I don't go to too many of these things. So, but I knew that I was going sure. to that. Well, I mean, I <laughs> haven't in the past, but I, I knew that it, as soon as they said London, I was like, I'm there because the friend that I have always wanted to meet that I know from online lives in London. And we've always talked about getting together. And then when that came up, it was like, well, I guess this is it. So that was a fantastic reason to go and reason to meet her. Amazing how you can have such close friendships with people that you mm. never see in person and then um getting together it's kind of like oh my gosh you're real <laughs> it's kind of the way d-doc will be when we actually run into him because we never have physically seen d-doc as a human really he is only, yeah, yeah no he he was a viewer that kind of came on for one show gave alfie a hard time about his boba fett helmet and then has basically just latched on but yeah, we've never actually physically seen him. We've only seen him as a little box on our computer screens. That's so funny. Yeah, and it's it's crazy too because like Azalea watches his videos on YouTube and TikTok, and it's like everyone in my family knows DDoc. I mean, the thing is, is that it's honestly not that weird. Well, like you know, when I when I think about like, oh, I've got all of these friendships that I maintain via technology, but then I'm like, yeah, but all my real life friends don't live next to me either. So those are all things that I also manage through text and FaceTime. And it's kind of like, I mean, I'm glad that we're able to do that. There's nothing that can replace, you know, friends and family being near you, but you can certainly uh, maintain and grow friendships 
Yeah, I means like you mentioned Discord. I'm still in a Discord chat from a Star Wars game that actually ended. Gosh, it has to have been five years ago that we all played together, and we've just you know kept the the chat open, and yeah, we send messages every day. Yeah, and that's I never physically met any of them either. Yeah, that's what I think is so cool about it. Like I I've got my little server that I I started up when I first got into Clone Wars and that was during the pandemic. Like that was that was at the height of the pandemic when we were all social distancing and it's amazing how that group of people like we you know grew up around um that server but you know then it's kind of like anything else that comes out, you know, um nerding out over uh, rings of power coming out and just being there for each other in hard times it's amazing that uh, online friends can really still um you know they can't they can't truly replace everything related to kind of incarnate friendship but especially now with uh with uh things like the netflix watch parties you can have movie mm -hmm. nights literally together from afar that's pretty cool i did that this week with a friend and uh you know this, never met this person but doesn't really matter Dedoc says he watches Mandalorian through the uh, the Disney Plus version of that same thing. So him and his brother watch the Mandalorian together uh, through the Disney Watch. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Disney's got that mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I find that I've, I've had some issues with that. So I think that's funny because whenever I watch with somebody on Disney Plus or, or Netflix or Amazon Prime, um, instead of actually using the the actual watcher, I'll sit there and we'll be on discord and I'll be like, everybody ready? Five, four, three, two, one sync. And that's how we watch it. So it, it works. So, but yeah, I mean, I guess um, you guys talked about the Mandalorian finale last week. Um, kind of sad to actually be able to wake up at a normal time today and uh not have to wake up super early before I go to work to watch a new episode but um you know what were what was the thought uh last week as you guys kind of uh, uh decompressed from from that finale i'll go first uh i liked it a lot as an episode i thought it was very lackluster as a season finale Although I will say I watched it a sec the second time I watched it and I and let me just put it out there first. I had no expectations of Luke or any cameos or anything like that. I did not expect that. I just expected more of a I don't know, spectacle of a finale, I guess. And I felt it was just I don't know. It was very safe. It was good. It was fulfilling the second time I watched it, but the first time I just expected a little more and I really didn't like that they kind of killed all the tension that was built up in the previous episode. Brent, what'd you think? Um, well, sorry, I was slightly distracted. We have homework that I just found out we had to work on together. Isn't tonight, that great? So. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing middle school, elementary school homework. Um, uh, it's been many years since I've been in there, but no, I, I'm, I try to help out as much as I can. So I was slightly distracted. I heard Alfie saying that he, it was lackluster. Um, as a I, finale, I, I, not I as an episode. You, I hear you. Like, I didn't say this on the last, the last time we talked about it, but it almost feels like 
it's a middle level of a video game. And I almost feel like watching it. It was, it wasn't like you would beat an epic battle, the, the level before. And this is kind of like the one to get you to the next epic battle. Like this wasn't the, this wasn't the culminating boss battle that you wanted. This was the one that was to lead up to another epic boss battle to, to come. Um, if so, like, you know what I mean? It was, it was kind of, anticlimactic um you, like you would wanted the moth battle to be a lot better but he just walks into fire um and that's why i feel like it's like one of those mid-level games of like a long game and i also feels that way because they kept collecting different pieces and putting it together and like you got the keys to the house like it almost felt like it was this just waypoint a save it was a save point it wasn't a uh chapter ender I'm going to go the video game route with you here. This was a point in a video game where you can choose the easy path or the hard path. And they chose the easy path. I really think you probably could have had a whole nother season of this show retaking Mandalore and the Mandalorians and all this stuff and made it really (laughs) great. Or you could wrap it up really fast and go on to Ahsoka and your movie. And they chose to wrap it up. So if even, anyone... even if you just don't go with the lore, just the episode itself. Okay. Oh no, like I said before. Oh no, we're trapped in an imperial base. Oh, that's okay. We just fly away. Oh no, the uh these uh people that we found are spies. Oh no, 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 they just made farms. We we fly to their cave, you know. Oh no, the Mandalorian got captured. Oh, that's okay. He he fought two minutes later, he's free. Oh no, the here's Moff Gideon's evil ultimate plan. That's okay. I just turned the power off. It doesn't matter anymore. I wish, and if you are listening to us, you really need to find us on YouTube at Rule the Galaxy YouTube channel because Jess, I believe 100% agrees with everything Alfie is saying and she is trying every ounce of energy to hold in her true feelings. Because she's just like covering her head and her hands. She like every time Alfie, she wants to talk, but then she stops and she's. No, she's I'm giving got, people a chance. No, no, I got you. Like you're, you're like, uh, yeah, oh, I want. Uh. And so go ahead. Okay. Hit us with your best shot. You're you're unleashing me. Okay. Absolutely. I have never. I could never imagine how upset I would be by the very ending that I wanted. This is everything I have ever wanted in terms of the Mandalore story. My girl, Bo-Katan Kreese, just completely reinvigorated her sister's legacy. They have taken the planet back. They are going to be a people again. And I'm going to tell you one thing right now. My anger is not mainly because they never thought that they had to mention Bo-Katan's sister. If they had, I think that it would have been a wonderful and revolutionary Star Wars storytelling moment to, to frame the whole story as this literally 40-year-long story between these two sisters and the fact that Mandalore was lost 
and now has been regained for whatever reason they are unwilling to touch Satine and I do not know why Katie Sackhoff has said she doesn't know why I don't get it it seems even that like more than that it's like they're not even willing to reference that era of Bo-Katan's life and I don't know if that's because they're trying to make her younger than she is that woman is at least 60 years old there is no way around that I think that's it that I mean that's probably it and it just ticks me off because when they like they allude to this backstory that she has and it's like they only want her shame to be the fact that she lost Mandalore during the purge and not mention the fact that she lost Mandalore twice before and like even in even in the the second to last episode there's a moment where she says you're right i was selfish and this is what it wrought and i want to i want someone to tell me if we're ignoring bokatan's whole story from the clone wars and rebels what does that line mean because we have not seen her be selfish ever in regards to this story related to the purge she was totally humble self-effacing she humbled herself to give moff gideon the saber like she cannot say that like you can't say that she was in any way selfish there so i don't even know what they're trying to act like that line was about but it just makes me so angry because this is exactly where i wanted the story to go but this whole season and this finale in in like specifically feels so hollow that i cannot be happy about it 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 was i don't know how favreau screwed this up so badly he is not ever going to win awards for his writing but he has proven himself to be a good writer in the past and like i don't want to spend like the whole hour like giving a rerun of like what i would have done differently but i'll just point out a couple things like you know because because i think like when i'm on twitter and i talk about these things i think people just think that i'm nitpicking about things that like oh like jessica's making a big deal out of something that like she just had expectations and i'm like no i mean i had hopes but as a storyteller what i really truly care about is not the ending you could get me to any ending you want and as long as you justify it, I will accept it. If Bo-Katan died, I would have accepted it if if, she, if it had been justified. If, you know, I mean, I had my hopes. I, I really thought that the armor was going to be the spy. And honestly, I still think she is. But all, all that you have to do, Star Wars is not brain science. It's, it's not brain surgery. It's mythic storytelling. All you have to do is follow the beats of the hero's journey and then make things connect. That's all you have to do. And so just a couple of things here, like when I complain about the fact that like character development was very hollow this season, think about the fact that like we had a couple of really good episodes where like we would call them bottle episodes. It's like the one where they're saving baby Vizsla from the giant space dinosaur. Mm -hmm. Like that, that like, as I was watching it, I was like, mm, okay, this isn't the action that I was hoping for. Like this, this is clearly a bottle episode, but like, I, I got kind of excited when I kind of saw like that was the premise because those episodes are fabulous for character development. And so what I was really hoping for is that in this moment, we're going to get this episode where Bo-Katan's going to learn about children of the watch. Children of the watch are going to be asking questions of Bo-Katan, this woman who is a Mandalorian, who their leader has told them 
cannot exist, that she is a heretic. And so as I'm coming into that episode, I'm like, great, there's going to be tension up the wazoo in this episode. Din and Paz, they're always at each other's throats. Paz and Bo, he clearly latched onto her at that, you know, the end of that episode when when they first come to the covert. I was expecting all kinds of stuff there, especially because he is Paz Vizsla and she, <gasps> again, they are unwilling to talk at all about Bo-Katan's past. And so I'm sitting here going, are we finally going to find out how Paz Vizsla is related to Pri? This would be a great time to do that. Never happened. He he claims that she's a heretic. Net never gets brought up again. And then even more so, tension between Bo and the armor. Again, Bo thinks that this is a cult. The cult leader thinks that this woman here is basically poisoning the minds of her followers or at least that's what i would have assumed that she was thinking but that never comes up and so then what happens is that we get no tension everybody's just best buddies this is the this is the my little pony friendship and sparkles season because there's no tension and then the next and then and then they save little ragnar from the dinosaur it took a very long time to do that i don't know how he wasn't eaten yet but then the next episode what do we get we get Paz basically saying this woman helped me find my son let's support her and the tin man and go and help Navarro and automatically right there I go this would be so much stronger if we had seen tension between Paz and Bo if they had started out you know he's suspicious at first and then he comes to her and he confronts her and he says you, you know maybe he says something about like i know who you are or you know something like that like like alluding to that past that you know maybe that connection with previsla he, he comes to her and he says you're not a mandalorian i don't accept you like like you're like just having some of that tension there and then he sees that she's helping him find his son anyway and then that that gratefulness and that gratitude and that ultimate recognition that even if i don't agree with this person that this is somebody who is honorable and that I should follow if we had gotten any of that and we easily could have if the storytelling had been any more efficient in the dinosaur episode then when he says I think that we should support them it would have hit harder and very similarly with the armorer what happens there like at the end of that episode with with the pirates on Navarro we get this moment where Paz tells Bo that the armor wants to see her and the the way that it's on it is on screen it's meant to be a tense moment we are supposed to wonder what's going on Bo looks very uncomfortable which is kind of funny because we haven't seen tension between these two characters but there's this moment of tension and then you know they they're alone and this cult leader who Bo has humbly allowed herself to live like while she's with them this cult leader immediately others her and says take off your helmet other yourself and defy the first creed that we as a group have and Bo kind of goes like what like what are you what are you doing and she's just like do you respect my station and I'm just like lady this is a former Mandalore here like like Bo-Katan Kree's has her own authority that you're not recognizing but you're not telling her what your plan is and so Bo does take off her helmet and what happens she basically just says I believe you you saw the mythosaur 
all of my tenants that I've always professed that other Mandalorians who take or other people who take off their helmets are not Mandalorians supposedly goes out the window and she's just her best buddy again and I'm and again that would hit a lot harder if we had seen tension between them you're poisoning the minds of my followers you are from a heretic family you don't actually believe what we profess oh you're going to help us find this child who's a part of our family that's really nice like there's all of this stuff that could be there for the character moments but there wasn't and I'll tell you what that leads to it gets us to the end of this story and honestly I still feel like the armorer is a spy not because they've set it up that way but because what they have given us I don't really believe that she's changed her mind we have been given no reason to believe that this woman thinks that Bo-Katan and her followers are Mandalorians what we do get is in that that scene with Bo, she says, it's not enough for some of us to walk the path. We all have to walk the path. And you know what? That sounds a great deal like a threat to me. That sounds like a woman. Like, I, I was so sure that she was the spy because I thought for sure this is the way she is. She is pretending to be Bo-Katan's friend. She's pretending to be her supporter. She's saying that she believes that this is a new era for Mandalore. She's going to bring all of the Mandalorians together on the planet, something that Moff Gideon thanks Bo-Katan for doing. So, like, I was like, yeah, totally. Like, like he's thanking her because the armor has brought them all together. And that she was going to then usurp Bo, try to kill her, try to kill Din try to and you know that's why she wasn't on the planet when the imperial attack happened and that she was then going to be the only person in authority able to take control of all of these Mandalorians and she was going to be able to baptize them all and be like this is the way we're living now guys and that never happened and again I don't have to have that be the ending if they have something else that's justified but what did we get? Uh, what what did we get instead? Again, we got the My Little Pony Friendship and Sparkles edition, where there is no other spy. They're all friends. Axe is a friend, even though Axe was ready to, you know, punch Bo's face in. The the uh, survivors who I you know I don't really I didn't really buy anybody's idea that the survivors would be the spies because I just didn't think that that would be at all dramatic. We just met them. Paz died. That was about the, the biggest thing that happened in this entire finale. But what did we get? We got all these Mandalorians who just came together and recognized each other's Mandalorianism. And that's it. They took back their planet. And now they're living, you know, two worlds, one family, like in Tarzan. That's right. that's that's it. I just, like I said. I, I agree. Exactly I think it, what needed, I want. it needed more in the middle to set the ending up in my opinion i you know i enjoyed the dr pershing episode i enjoyed the lizzo episode but that took out such big chunks of time of when you could be having a lot more of the character development between the mandalorians yep. and the tension between the two factions i i really just feel like this was a quick wrap-up to get to the next phase of the story yep i think at one point you know i feel that at one point there probably was a lot more and it got condensed down because of 
desires to mold it all together eventually with what's going to come. Uh, you know, I say that I didn't really want cameos, but I still kind of wish that at least the, what were they, the Delphi squadron, uh, blue squadron or whoever from the new Republic would have shown up because I, I don't know. I hate that. Like they set Mandalore up to be the same independent planet that it was in the clone wars. I know there's a part of me that likes that. And then there's another part of me that wishes they would be part of the bigger story, which I know they can't because of the sequels. So, I mean, I guess I'm not really surprised and I just answered my own question there, but I don't know. I would have liked to have seen more and I get where they're kind of going with this and keeping them independent is they basically made them Wakanda to be alone to face like Thrawn's force or whatever. That way it doesn't, he doesn't fight the new Republic and it makes sense to why this isn't mentioned in the sequels, but I don't know. I really just would have liked to see more Mandalorian culture kind of stuff. Yeah, me too, because liked... it was so inefficient. Like, we could have learned a whole lot more about Mandalorian culture if they had just been talking to each other. Right. I, I mentioned that, you know, I'm not sure if I mentioned it on this podcast, but I had I had mentioned before halfway through the season when I started to get these frustrations. Yeah, I, I think I do remember mentioning it on here that, you know, I I had uh, I had somebody who who told me, like, when you are looking at a story, when you're looking at the strength of a story, where is your tension coming from? If your tension is coming from the fact that your characters won't talk to each other, like if you're trying to set up like a will they, won't they type of dynamic and that will they, won't they dynamic could be rectified if the characters would just sit down and talk, then that tension is probably not very strong. Your story doesn't really have a very strong hinge to work with because you've set up something that could easily be rectified. What's so funny about this show is that it was the exact opposite. There was no tension because the characters, there, there was no tension because the characters weren't talking, but that wasn't rectified either. And like I said, like that just really bugs me because the whole premise of this is that we set up this idea that Din is part of a cult and Bo-Katan is not. And season two was all about Din kind of realizing that there are other kinds of Mandalorians who look very differently from him. He learned about foundlings. He learned about Bo, who's part of this royal family, this very biological Mandalorian. And instead of following through to the proper ending of that setup, we didn't get any of that. And we just kind of got this sense of like, well, they're all good. And right. I just think that it's really funny that like, like you mentioned the, the, the side you know the side quest episodes where it's like you know this thing with the episode with dr pershing you know then there's the the dinosaur episode and then we get the the um the duchess episode still angry about the, i swear to god that i you know knowing what i know about the titling of these episodes i swear they were gonna call that episode the duchess and it would have just driven me bonkers mm -hmm. i just I, I just can't believe that favreau i mean this this is not going over his head he was pre-Vizsla he's been with this story since the very beginning but it's like okay we're gonna have a duchess who is both a a royal ruler and a elected official who lives in a dome who desires peace who exiles criminals to their moon that's Satine 
Yeah. I don't understand I it. I, I don't get it. But but the thing is, is that like those two episodes, the, the Dr. Pershing episode and the the um the Duchess episode, I'll tell you how immediate like like real quickly, how do you make the ending feel retroactively much heavier and give more weight to the season in general? Watch this. You Din gets captured. He is taken and, and he's tortured and the helmet comes off, which those were all leaks. Like that was apparently what was supposed to happen. And he he's about to get mind flayed. You know, I, a lot of people thought like that, that that was the end point of this anyway. And I agree that would have been really dramatic and really great. And it also would have given us the feeling of like that episode with Dr. Pershing actually holds more weight now because we realize that seeing that with him makes it happening to din that much weightier and then right. you get Bo coming in to try to rescue him maybe he's been mind flayed maybe he's not but but that that rescue is so much more dramatic you have the mandalorians you know working together and goodness gracious maybe they start to think that there's a spy amongst themselves they start accusing each other Bo accuses axe and axe accuses the armor and all of these types of things and then it comes out no none of them were the spies you know who the spy was the Baron from the Duchess episode. You know why? Because he's an ex-Imperial who has the exact same insignia that Elia Kane and all of the other Imperials had. He knew that Bo was planning to take Mandalore back. He's got the ear of Moff Gideon. And so he talks to Gideon and gets him to go to the planet. And then you could still have the happy-go-lucky everybody wins ending where all of the Mandalorians are good. But then you've 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 still got the spy you've still got a lot more weight in the idea that they have been betrayed by someone and you retroactively give so much more weight to that whole droid episode with christopher lloyd i just don't get why when you have eight episodes and these episodes are basically sitcom length now why you wouldn't do everything in your power to make this storytelling as efficient as you possibly can. I don't get it. I agree. And I was kind of waiting for the Baron to come back into the story a little bit or something from that episode to affect the story on a bigger level. Um, I also think it would have been a, a interesting idea to have Din captured for a longer period of time because he kind of is in this whole Mandalorian story to me, he seems like the neutral guy who is always kind of keeping the peace between the group. So if you take him out, I think you could have more room for this kind of tension, like what, what you've been talking about between the two groups. I think that's a great idea. And I also, th I thought that that's where they were going anyway, because I thought that that was the whole plan to maybe keep Pedro Pascal out of the next season for a bit. Maybe he remains captured. And you've got Grogu becoming so close to Bo. To, to Bo. I thought for sure that they were going to be setting it up like, you know, it's going to be them for a little while. And that would have been really cute when they finally are able to come back together. And, you know, he's, he, he you know, it's, it's just, it's nice because like that whole premise would have been, it wouldn't have been possible in previous seasons. We would never want to see Grogu separated from his dad without someone else because he wasn't close to anybody else 
So the idea of like, you know, I mean, just every single episode, he gets a little bit closer and closer until he's literally sitting in her lap in the, in the gauntlet. That was yeah, I love so that. cute. And I just thought for sure that that was going to be leading to something in terms of what they were setting up for the next season. And instead, what did we get? I mean, gosh, I, again, from a character point, why set up things that you're not going to follow up on? We got Din giving this beautiful speech and pledging himself to Bo and, and well, first off, I thought that for sure, again, the armor was going to be the spy in that moment because what we've got then is this man who is going to have to make a choice between the woman who has defined the last 30 years of his life and the woman that he just committed his life to. And I thought, again, great premise, right? Nothing came of it. But even less than that, he wasn't even at the forge lighting ceremony. He just dips out of there. They don't even get a goodbye. And so again, I just, I sit here and I go, they got their planet back. This is what I wanted. Why do I feel so empty? Right. It also would have been a really great vehicle for the next season to give Grogu like the motivation to become a badass Mandalorian that by, you know, the time they do free him or whatever, you know, he's a different Grogu, you know, when, they break Den out. I and I, I'm agreeing with you too here about not using the things that they set up because like the the chest plate never came into the story. Yeah. You rebuild IG eleven for him to last, you know, a half of an episode or more than that. He he made it to the next episode, but then was destroyed again and then rebuilt again. But I don't know. I mean, IG-11 there were, there are things the- I really liked about this episode as an episode, but as a series finale, I just, I just didn't care for it. And I know people are going to say, well, that's just your expectations as a, you know, a viewer and you're spoiled, but I'm sorry that television has been formatted in such a way that any series finale of a show, you're going to expect a little bit more than it just being so safely tied up into a nice, neat little bow ready to go on to like the next phase. Well, you keep you keep saying series finale. Season four is is basically confirmed. I mean, there. It's, I'm it's sorry. Not a I mean, finale. I mean, season finale is what I but meant. It, not, but but I don't me, blame you because it yeah. feels like it, doesn't it? Yes, and I I know that's why I keep having that slip of the tongue because that was my point is that it does. There was a sense with me that if this show just ended, I probably would have been more satisfied than if it was knowing that it was going to go on. I I don't know what to say to that either because I'm kind of the same way. Like I. It, it feels like a series finale. It feels like the most unsatisfying series finale that I've ever seen. And again, that's not my expectations. It's the desire for a good story. You can tell right. me whatever story you want. Just make it good. And you're absolutely right that like the chess plate, I'm sorry, that is set up to allow Grogu to save Din or Bo or someone and have them think that he's dead. And, and to be able to have that moment of terror, and they never did that. IG-11, I was, I hate that they keep bringing him back because I just don't personally think that he's that important. But I, like, the one thing that I did like is that um, when I watched the second to the last episode, like, this is, as, as a storyteller, thinking about kind of the technical aspects of, like, why you include certain elements, um, immediately, immediately after Grogu got legs, I knew that Din and Grogu would be separated by the end of the episode because because the only reason that you introduce an element like that 
is to allow for Grogu to not have to right. be carried around by him. I had the same feeling when I watched Force Awakens. And as soon as, as Ray knew how to easily pilot the Millennium Falcon, immediately I was like, Chewie or Han are not, is not making it out because they can't have that many people who can pilot the Millennium Falcon. Right. That's just like, that's those, that mechanics of storytelling. But I just don't understand why you introduce these elements that make it seem like you're setting up a mythic story if you're not going to follow through on it. I, I completely agree. I was very disappointed that the chest plate didn't come into some point of the story. And you brought it up, and I know Brent doesn't want to talk about this, but you brought it up about Pedro Pascal not being in, you know, being able to not Fire be him. in the next season. Have you found, I, I know you have to have heard all of these interviews that Katie Sarkoff has given in the past few days. Do you not find it funny that she never refers to Pedro and I, but that she constantly says Brendan and I talked about this or Brendan and I acted this out or Brendan and I did this on, you know, after she makes a point a couple of times about people saying that Din and Bo are, you know, being shipped. And she says, well, Brendan and I did this off, off, you know, camera once we found this out or it's, I, I find it kind of funny that she never I don't. I, I, don't I won't say that she never does, but that I have not heard such an emphasis on her saying Pedro and I. Well, she's not, and it's not a surprise to me because this has always been the case. I mean, literally, Pedro Pascal when he signed on to do the Mandalorian, he hit the jackpot. He was an up and coming star, but he wasn't quite as famous. He was able to sign on for this role where he didn't have to be there every single day, and he could basically make bank for being a voice actor that's pretty cool for him yeah and then the 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 benefit going forward was that he was in less of season two and even less of season three and this is what they've set up and people love din and so like he has said like he'll continue to to voice din even if he can't fit in the suit anymore which i'm just like okay i get it you're not there you you don't have to rub it in because it kind of feels like that's what you're doing and it does get I agree. on my nerves i don't think that it surprises me though because um i mean yeah katie did say like i appreciate that when katie is asked about pedro immediately she will say well mostly i work with brendan and latif and i think that it seems like brendan is probably the one who's doing the majority of din's close-up shot so he's doing a lot of the really emotional acting in the suit latif i'm not really sure exactly if they've ever defined kind of where he shines but i'm assuming that he might be more stunts and more wide shots i'm not sure that's just a guess though but i know that there were days that pedro pascal was on set and it sounds like they were relatively random i know that the actress who played one of the technicians in the um in the duchess episode says that he was on set for that day and so he he was there but i just think that it's really funny that he didn't need to be for that episode or for that scene that they were shooting i don't understand why they didn't place a greater emphasis on the finale and and then and but then a, apparently he was supposed to have his helmet off at some point in the finale i've heard different things in terms of leaks where he was being tortured and the helmet comes off i've definitely heard people say that he was just meant to have it off in the final scene but regardless it seems pretty clear like if he was on set at all for that finale they would have made do on him removing his helmet it, i think it's really funny because at the premiere he made a comment to katie or, or about katie he said 
I can't wait to see what happens and what she does to me. And everybody was kind of like, what on earth are you talking about? And then as it became clear that like there, there might be a little bit something between them, like everybody kind of thought like maybe that's what he was referring to. But what's so funny is that after knowing how little he was on set, I'm kind of like, maybe he was being very, very, uh, you know, just like, like that wasn't facetious at all. He was just like, I want to know what she does to me because I have no idea what happens. I agree. And, I, you so, know, I'm going to steal Brett's thunder here because, yes, it does not add or take away from any enjoyment of the show. I just personally think that I find it interesting. He's phoning I, it in. He's, yeah. he's, he's getting paid to be the main character on two different shows, and he can't give his time to this one. And I, and I don't even think I he's phoning it in. I don't think he's phoning it, it in. I don't think he's phoning to get in. I think that is generally the way that Filoni and Favreau want it to be. They don't want him to take his helmet off. They don't need him to be there. They have the two guys. They have the karate guy for when they do the fighting against the Praetorian guards. And then they have the gunslinger and Brendan Wayne. I generally think that they don't need him other than the voice that he's created for the character. So I don't know if I wouldn't say that he's phoning it in. And again, I like the character of Mando. I don't like pedro pascal like that's not i like mandalorian so that's why when this whole came up in the text string my personal thing is it doesn't take away from the character that i like it doesn't have any impact i didn't like the character because of pedro i had no idea who pedro was if it, if i liked it because of pedro i would have liked 1984 because of the character of pedro pedro pascal on that and his character there was i thought well, you awful don't, you don't have to like everything an actor does but <laughs> but like the integrity okay. of the character relies on there being a consensus on who this character is. And I am, I for one am always there saying Din Djarin is three people. And these Pedro Pascal stands who want to say like, oh no, his stunt doubles aren't doing anything. I'm like, no, when you tune into this show, you are not watching Pedro. You are watching Brendan and Latif in the suit. And so like, I'm, I'm cool with that. But what I dislike is the fact that ultimately when you start to have this complication of these three different actors playing them brendan clearly for, you know for example here in all of katie's interviews she refers to her and brendan when it comes to this setting up of the din and bow relationship that moment on the boat brendan has said that i mean i'm not really sure what he was referring to because brendan made a comment about how there was a scene coming up and this was before that episode aired that was like emotionally and then he said and physically like a big deal and and so like when he said that like we were all expecting something bigger it seems like then katie was referring to that scene as well and said that like the kiss that they did was just a joke like it was it wasn't ever meant to be like a real take which i'm more inclined to agree with but regardless this is where you start to get little fractures in the character because Brendan is going to be the one playing him next season. And then he is going to be bringing a different element of Bo and Din's relationship than what, what Pedro might be bringing with his voice acting. And that's what bugs me when we start to see that breakdown of the character. I apologize. I'm going to have to sign off. Thank you guys. Have a good night. See good you, night. Brent. And I, I think that's where I get a little where I find it so interesting because like in these Katie interviews, she's basically so, kind of saying, I don't know why whoops, whoops. <laughs> you're getting upset. Um, How do I turn him off? 
I think that did it. Remove. <laughs> it basically sounds like her and Brendan are working out future plot points. You know, yeah. and it's like, well, shouldn't that be her and Pedro? I mean, and I agree. Does it take away from it? No, really, because I like Mando. But the more I hear, the more I know I'm going to get annoyed when I see Pedro Pascal as the face of Star Wars, knowing yeah. that he's not really a part of the show as much as everybody what else is being portrayed. And I think that's exactly my problem too. It is not a problem with Pedro. He's like I said, he hit the jackpot with this role. And I understand why he's doing what he's doing. I don't really fault him for that. Oh no, not one but, me either. Not 100 percent I don't fault yeah, him at all. I, I think he's done a great job with the character so far. I think that the bigger issue is is exactly like what we were kind of saying. Like it's when interviewers come to Katie and say, How's Pedro on set? And she has to say, He's not really there. And it's 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 him being this enormous force in Star Wars, but he's he's not giving quite what everybody else is and the fact that like katie sackoff has said like like you know yeah she's got a stunt double but for almost all scenes she is on set she is doing the work she is in that suit even in those episodes where she never takes her helmet off and that's where i just kind of go like how much longer do we want to rely on this this character who is portrayed by an actor who he might enjoy it. He's even doing a good job with it, but he just doesn't have that same connection. And I just think it's really funny that ultimately this show is helmed by a faceless man who can be replaced and a little tiny gremlin robot. And I just think that that is so funny. Like, I'm not saying it's not working. I'm just saying that at some point, does the integrity of that premise start to break down when the one guy affiliated with that character starts to say like okay because I'm just a voice actor here I can take a leading role in another show that is is filming at the exact same time right and that's not going to change the way I relate to this role or this character I, I see I I I I mean honestly what I heard retroactively I didn't I didn't hear this before the finale but like there was always this kind of chatter that Din was gonna die and obviously and honestly like we know that things were shot that were not seen because Brendan made the comment like this is gonna hurt like you're not gonna want to see this and right. the thing the thing is is that I'm not listening to actors anymore not because I don't trust the actors but because the actors don't know what the final cut is gonna be for all intents and purposes it sounds like they shot two episodes one that would destroy the fan base and one that was just happy-go-lucky friendship and sparkles and it sounds like that must have been shot so fully that the actors thought that they could make those kinds of comments and not be wrong about it that's what I think is so funny and so I'm not listening to actors anymore not because I don't love the actors but because they just don't know they see it at the same time mm -hmm. that we do but I just kind of go what are we supposed to do going forward when this show has proven that they're not really willing to take risks of any kind with like like as long as Pedro Pascal is as big as he's he is he's he's got plot armor he, he literal plot armor he is not going to die because they don't want to kill him but the thing is is that I like the leaks that I saw retroactively was that Din was supposed to die that's what was going to happen and gosh I wish it had because it would have been so good but it also would have been really justified 
because he doesn't need this role anymore. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, he's got plot armor until he just really doesn't need to, you know, cash these checks. Because how long can he, you know, as, you know, and you you hate to say that because it makes him sound selfish or whatever, but how long can he be, you know, just a voice actor? He's going to want to do something bigger. You know, he's already doing The Last of Us. It's only going to lead to a bigger role. But see, that's the thing is that that's exactly why why he'll keep doing it. They can cut together the entire season and he can come in to the, he can either do it from home or he can come into a recording studio for one or two days and record the entire season. Whereas his coworkers are spending six months filming. Right. He is, I mean, he, he literally just released an interview saying that I will do this until they stop making them. And that he will do it even if he can't fit in the suit. So I, that, that's, that is, I think, where it all comes down to me. He's doing a great job. I think that didn't, I, you know, I mean, honestly, like I have been really shocked. What I felt like they were setting up with Din and Bo and what I thought was going to be a big decision for him between his old life and this new life. I mean, even that kind of speculation made me appreciate Din Djarin in a way that I never have before. I have always maintained that Din Djarin is not a character. He's a plot point. He is the person, he is the premise of this show. He is the person who knows nothing about Star Wars or Mandalorians. And so as he travels around, <laughs> he is the person who is That's so true. He's he's the proxy for the audience. And and I've always maintained that I mean what's so funny is that they're not willing to reference the Clone Wars on this show and like the Mandalorian story from the Clone Wars, but I have always maintained that this show at its very core is basically just a recap show to get people who haven't been interested in the animated shows clued up to what's been happening the last decade. And that that has been, I mean, that was especially very true in season two. That's actually why I really defended season two and the the quest um, formula and the the cameos because for me, I was just really seeing that like this is a show that is yeah we're we're, we're seeing cameos, but what we're really seeing is the casual Star Wars audience being brought up to speed on all of these characters that we've spent 10 years with. And that was, I, th- I thought, a pretty effective way of doing storytelling. Now, I really didn't, I didn't get the, you know, people criticized the the side plots in last season, but then we got into this season and it was like immediately people started criticizing that Bo-Katan was the pro- protagonist and that Din was kind of getting sidelined by her story and I was kind of like no 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 no. I think that in general that is exactly what it was supposed to be season two was great as these side quests because Din had a quest he had to get Grogu back right. to the Jedi that was you know that that's the the whole point and every every um episode he gets just a little bit closer but you have to have a side quest or something else to round that episode out fine by me um they he succeeded in that quest but as soon as grogu is back with him that quest ceases to exist the the actual storytelling reason for just kind of traipsing around the galaxy with his kid stops being the reason why he would do that so in my mind i saw great season two is quest and side plots season three is plot 
Season three is mythos. Season three is Bo-Katan's story and getting the planet back and that tension between what we've already learned about Din's cult and what we know about Bo's family and the way that Mandalorians um, live and, and act in the animated shows. And the fact that we really didn't get any... Um, we didn't really get any payoff for that tension. Honestly, right. what it kind of does, it, it makes me feel like the Mandalorian is an alternative universe where Bo-Katan is 20 years younger, Satine doesn't exist, and that basically nothing in the Clone Wars and Rebels episodes, like we we, we see those characters in Clone Wars and, and Rebels. And now because we have this whole different culture, this whole different cult, it honestly makes it seem a little bit more separated from the animated shows than I think that they wanted because they're not really addressing the fact that it is different. Yeah, I can see that. And, you know, to go with your point here about the Mandalorian, you know, not being a character and more of a plot point, I would agree with that because I I think if you really wanted to make the Mandalorian a character, as far as Din Djarin, I, I know I get confused because I've always said Mandalorian referring to Mandalorians. And now when you say Mandalorian, it's like, well, are you talking about the Mandalorian or, you know, whatever. But if you had treated this, you know, triangle of Din Djarin, the armor and Bo-Katan in more of, not necessarily as an adult as adult as it was but more in a, like a game of thrones style of exactly. storytelling yep where they're allies because they're trying to take mandalore but you never know who it is that's scheming behind because you have the you know the the children of the watch on one side and then you have you know the the classic you know clone wars mandalorians and they're working together but you never know which one it is that's going to stab you in the back. I think exactly. that would have set up Din Djarin in the middle of this and made him more of an actual character. But like you said, they went kind of a different round with it. And yeah. I'm not saying it was bad because I enjoyed it. I mean, the you know that little kid in me is always going to be amazed and love mandalorians flying around in jetpacks and fighting each other and you know the armor flying around with a beskar hammer bashing in stormtroopers i mean there's just a part of me that's always going to love that spectacle of it but like i said i think you could you could have made this a whole nother season and it would have been very satisfying you could have and, and it could have been another season i think it should have been another season it, it should have ended with din captured by moff gideon it should have ended with Bo, uh, you know i hope not dead but uh captured or injured and it should have ended with gideon in charge of the planet and the armorer as not his ally but i like the way that i see it is that like the idea would be that she would have she knows that Bo-Katan is the greatest threat to her little cult and their way of mm -hmm. life. So in order to get rid of her without getting her hands dirty, she goes to Gideon because she knows that he's got beef with her and that he can get rid of her. And so the, that's the whole reason why I thought for sure she's just pretending to be Bo's ally. She's going to get him to the planet. She gets off the planet with the survivors, kills Paz, kills Bo, kill, or in her mind, she's going to kill Paz, kill Bo, kill Din. She's going to be the only person left with authority. So in that, I, like, like you said, like it's, it's that Game of Thrones, it's, it's that tension, it's that feeling that everybody 
it's, it's the feeling that even though we're not getting a lot of character development, that there's still a lot going on in the characters' heads. What we didn't get was that. What we got was that the characters are all as simple on the outside as they seem to be right. in the episode. Like that's that's just it. And so like like you said, it was I, I think that Din Djarin became a character to me on that boat. And I, I know that some people are gonna be like, oh, it's just because you're a shipper and you just want them together. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. And I'm really surprised by that. I was not at all going into the season thinking that that was gonna be a thing or even that I wanted it to be a thing because she is 25 years older than him. If Disney would actually recognize that. But in that moment, he became a real live character to me because for the first time in this show, we got a very clear understanding of what drives Din Djarin and that's honor and that's character and that's loyalty. And it's the fact that he is looking at this woman who has already proven herself to be an incredible warrior and someone who loves his little baby. And mm-hmm. that's where I just went, this is, this is compelling. He is a compelling character to me now. But it all falls by the wayside if you don't make him have to have the choice. And that's where it's like to to choose between Bo and the armorer. That was going to be really compelling and it just didn't happen. And like you said, it's a Game of Thrones thing. What's so funny is that we all went into this going, is Bo-Katan going to be the next uh, Daenerys Targaryen? And I I was scared, uh, you know, even up to the first couple of episodes. Like, I, I thought for sure that that's what they were going to do. And um. What's really funny is that we didn't get any of that. We got Bo-Katan in her total and complete hero era, which I love. But the thing that's really funny is that even though they didn't go the same route as Game of Thrones, the thing that has felt so real to me is the fact that the same way when you watch Game of Thrones season eight, you can feel them just hurtling towards the finish line in order to get to the next best thing. That's exactly how, like, just like you say, like, it's, it's exactly what it feels like for this. And we know what that thing is that they're hurtling towards. And it's to, it's to get to Ahsoka and to fulfill Dave Filoni's little heir of the empire fanboy fantasies that has literally always been the purpose. That was the purpose, even when he was creating Clone Wars back in 20 uh, or uh, 2008, like that's always been what he's wanted to do. And so as I look at that, I kind of go, am I surprised? No, not at all. But am I disappointed? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's exactly where we're going. And and you know, one thing that really bothered me about this this season uh, is the dark saber. Like it wasn't even a part. Of, it, it just was nothing. He just carried it around like the whole season. I thought it was really funny because when Katie was asked about that, the first thing that she said, and this didn't even, this didn't even occur to me, but um, she said she's really, um, you know, annoyed or frustrated or just kind of laughs at the fact that when they finally show up to Axe and her former followers, Din still has the Darksaber. And in that moment, she's like, well, why didn't you give it to me earlier, dum-dum? Like, like she, she used that sword to defeat um, the grievous guy on on Mandalore, the crone. And then she, in all of her honor, puts it back. Like, that is not her sword. And I thought that that was so powerful. And what's really kind of funny is that 
I I really appreciated when she put the sword down because it confirmed to me that my understanding of the Darksaber was correct, that it doesn't really matter if you defeat the person who has the Darksaber. It actually has to be something that you actively say, like, I claim this sword the way that Maul did with Pri Vizsla. Like, if, if Maul and Pri had just had a, a sparring match, Maul doesn't get the Darksaber because he defeats Pri. He has to make it a spectacle. He has to say, I claim this sword. I want to fight you one-on-one, -on -one, and then I'm going to cut your head off. So I thought that that's exactly what they were kind of confirming when Bo uses the saber to defeat the crone, but then gives it back. But then they backtracked on that too by saying, nope, we're actually, we actually are going to treat that as the moment where she gets the rightful ownership of the sword um, instead of Din. And I'm just kind of like, okay, well, if that's the case, then you should have leaned into that earlier because like, and again, it's all because these characters aren't talking. Din and Bo should have been having conversations about who is the rightful ruler now? Like, what does this sword mean? He says, I only know of this sword, what you taught me. But the thing is, is that we never really see her teach him anything. <laughs> right. She never, you know, there was no training with it, no how to use it, you know, how to control it, all that stuff. I just, it was such an important part of season two. And then it just kind of fell to the wayside. And the thing is, too, is that, again, again, I, I just always come back to this is exactly the ending I wanted. And it feels so hollow because I have always said, that that sword should be thrown in Space Mount Doom. I have, I think that the only ending for that Darksaber was destruction. And that's what I got. But even that felt hollow because the sword itself didn't have a, um, a uh, real weight and purpose to the story. And so when Gideon destroys it and he destroys it like this pure Beskar is plastic um it just kind of falls down and you go okay there's all that history all that culture all of that meaning but the the people who watch who have never seen clone wars and rebels how are they even supposed to care yeah i would agree with that i mean i kind of didn't really even i don't know you know i was surprised that they destroyed it but then at the end of the day it in the season it didn't really matter that much so was it a big deal that it was destroyed and could they make another one i don't know i mean i guess it's star wars you can make anything it's space wizards as long as the kyber crystal wasn't destroyed i'm sure they could make another one i mean i just don't think that they should i think that the whole i mean no. again again it, it it annoys me so much because the thematic points that they're making with it I mean, they, they should have been setting up this idea of, of you don't need the Darksaber to rule. And again, I think that that could have been much more powerful if Bo-Katan had said, my sister didn't need it to rule. But again, they don't care about that. But in general, like it should, they should have been setting that up. They should have been acting like, okay, Bo really thinks she needs this as a symbol of her authority. Um, but in general, like, if, if that's her tension, then we should have seen more of that, too. All we really get from her is that moment where she says on the boat, like, I don't know if I can keep everybody together. All I have is this sword to unite people. And what's so funny about that is that up until then, the point was that she had the sword to unite them. So why is it that she went from the sword is the most important thing to unite people to all I have is the sword to unite them? 
all of this is stuff where I I honestly just wonder, Favreau, did you forget what you wrote in season two? It just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me what he set up as the premise for Mandalore, Bo-Katan's whole MO and like what she wants. You know, I, I think I mentioned this a long time ago when the season was first starting that it bugs me that regardless of whether Bo had the saber or not, the changes that Favreau made at the beginning of season three took away Bo-Katan's reason for doing everything because in season two, she didn't believe that Mandalore was poisoned. And then in season three, she refuses to go with Din to the planet at first because she believes that it's poisoned. I just, it's not hard. This is not, this is not brain surgery. John Favreau, I know that you can do this. So I just don't, I mean, if, if this is what we can expect and like, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly scared for Ahsoka. I, I know that she's Dave's baby, but first off, this is Star Wars and he has to learn to let go because she's everywhere and he needs to kill his baby, but he won't. But also he's not a very good writer. and He's not a very good director. He, in my mind, is very much like George Lucas. And they're, I, I think, relatively good big picture idea people. And neither one of them are at their best if they're the ones bringing their visions to pass. Right, I, I would Dave agree should, with that. I think that Dave should find a writer for Ahsoka. And I think that he should find directors to do that as well because I just don't think that we can expect anything very um well I mean I I don't think that we can expect anything very um novel and exciting in terms of the actual creation of this show and unfortunately I don't really know if I can expect much more than what we got from this season of Mando which was disappointing in its own regard but I guess that's the master padawan (laughs) um you know that's that's John being Dave's padawan too so uh yeah i don't know we'll see what happens i i I agree with you on all those points there and you know this is the fanboy in me you know like you saying you, you got the ending that you wanted and you're disappointed by it a little bit one thing that really irks me about this this whole mandalore story and i know it's gonna sound silly but it kills me inside you know is that kid, you know, playing with Star Wars toys that Boba Fett is no longer a Mandalorian. Like, if you would have, like, gone back in time and talked to me about this, you know, vision, that which I would be 1,000% excited for, but then say, oh, yeah, by the time we get there, we've written Boba Fett out, and he's not really a Mandalorian anymore. That just, like, there's just this little part of me that gets eaten away by that every time we go back to Mandalore. And I know that's very fanboyish because it makes sense on why he's not, but it's just, I can't let that go. Is there a reason why before all of this new canon, like when people say like he was a Mandalorian, like I'm not into all of the, the, the EU stuff. So like, is it just, (laughs) is it just nostalgia and wanting him to be associated with Mandalore or was there actually a reason why he was associated with Mandalore? I know that he becomes Mandalore, but I've never thought that yeah, that was going justified. as far into the like the new Jedi Order series when he becomes Mandalore. But I think it's more of like, you know, me and my age, he was the original Mandalorian. And then 
as time went on and it's like you keep making this story bigger uh, his story bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger like eventually he's with all the lore he's no longer a mandalorian but i think yeah like you said it's more nostalgia because he was the only one for so long and then it was like he's this really cool character so we're going to keep expanding this story to where there's mandalorians in the old republic and oh in the galactic republic all the clones were mandalorians made from his father and then we write him into the story that yeah he was a clone so then by the time you get to the new canon that makes him no longer a mandalorian i don't know that he was ever actually one other than he was just like the premise for the Mandalorian culture. Does that right. make more sense? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know what happened. I mean, I I understand yeah. that that I mean, it was George saying Django's not a Mandalorian, and Dave didn't like that either. So even back in two thousand and eight, Dave was like, there, "There's an interview from two thousand and eight where where Dave says, or not two thousand eight, two thousand ten, which is when um, the Mandalore um, plot premiered, um, where he says George told me Django Fett is not a Mandalorian." And you can tell that he's kind of like, eh, I don't like that. Yeah. But, you know, being the dutiful, you know, creator of George Lucas's yeah. vision, he put that in there, but he made sure to give that line to Almec as an understanding that maybe he is the one who just doesn't believe that he's a Mandalorian. And even in that same interview, he says, you know, in the comic books, I believe that Django Fett was a foundling, that he was he was adopted into mm -hmm. the society and so you can see that even then dave is putting together this this framework of how he can still be a mandalorian without being a biological mandalorian the way that satine was and so like that's always there and what's, what's actually really funny this is something that most people don't know but i only know it because i read everything from clone wars era on is that even even when the official word was that Django Fett was not a Mandalorian there are a bunch of books like um, mostly junior novels and comic books that still establish that he is a Mandalorian and it just really makes me laugh because like they never would have said that outright officially but they were still using that in a lot of the literature and so you can see right from the beginning that Dave had this like literally decade-long um plan i mean he didn't know that he was going to eventually be able to bring it to pass but it was always his hope to bring it back to that my question though is more along the lines of okay so that takes care of Django, but like see, see okay and, and i'm just gonna say i don't have the nostalgia for these characters so for me like it's just like okay i think that they're interesting characters i just don't think that they're interesting because of mandalore so for me it's like okay Django we reestablish that he is a Mandalorian foundling and you can, and, and I assume that they are basically recanonizing all of the comics in terms of Jaster and Death Watch right. and Tor Vizsla and all of these kinds of things. But for me, it's the fact that Django is a pretty individualistic mercenary who leaves Mandalore, who basically just goes and he wants to make his own way in the universe and he allows himself to be cloned. He works with the Republic, so which which is something that Mandalorians would not have considered an honorable thing anyway. He 
becomes a, a mercenary and a, a bounty hunter. Again, not very honorable things. And then we've got Boba who follows in his footsteps. So I guess my question is, and again, like kind of separating from nostalgia, convince me if you can, like, like, is there a reason that I should appreciate Boba and Django as Mandalorians as opposed to simply people who, who came from that culture? Like, do we, do we have any sense that Boba has even ever been around other Mandalorians other than the clones? No. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. That- I would agree with that <laughs> one. And, and see, so you could see where I get these mixed feelings because yeah. I grew up where, you know, he was as a story, yeah, he was the Mandalorian and you keep writing his story to make it even bigger and better. And by the time you get done with it, you're like, oh, well, crap, we just wrote him all the way out. But he's who we started with. You know, it's like this game I play the Star Wars game, and you you can make these teams and their factions, right? So you can make a Mandalorian team and your leader is Maul. But you can't, but Boba Fett's not a Mandalorian. And that just like eats me away (laughs) because there's still this seven-year-old kid, you know, in me who wished that at the time, you know, you know, there were more Mandalorians. I wanted more Boba Fett's because he was such a cool looking character. Well, that's what's so cool. Now we got it, but he's no longer a part of the group. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I definitely think it's kind of a strange situation where like this franchise has always existed in that realm of like George Lucas is the the maker, but then, you know, he gave us three movies and then he was okay with people adding to the story. And he was always kind of like, fine, it's there, whatever. Like it, you know, some of it played into stuff that he brought in later and mm-hmm. a lot of it didn't. And I think that that's okay, but it does, it does kind of get to the fact that like, this is a franchise where there's always going to be those discrepancies and retcons because this isn't like Lord of the Rings where basically everything that exists comes from the mind of one man who just, you know, obsessively uh, created and then not only like revised, but re-revised different elements of this story because he wanted it all to fit together in all of its complexities and I honestly don't know which one is better because I kind of do like the fact that like Star Wars is something that can continue Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings I mean like you know we're getting things like Rings of Power but in general the idea is that there is a canon like there's there's the mind of the maker and then the mind of his son and I think that in general the exploration that happens is happening in like kind of a lesser place than that creation star wars has always been a little bit differently because we we have george lucas and we still have him but he if it was just if we were just looking to him then this franchise would be dead in the water and so now what do we do when it's like not only have we relied on on writers and you know video game designers and all of these people but now it's kind of like we're in this era where we're never getting george lucas back right dave dave filoni is the new maker and on the one hand i appreciate that because it allows the franchise to continue but i do think that like it's a complex thing you know you have a you know you have this um you know you still like kind of bear those wounds of boba fett and I'm feeling that same way when it comes to Satine. And what's so funny is that for me, it's the same creators. Come on, Dave. You're the okay, one. I never really thought about it. Yeah, it is kind of a similar situation. Yeah, because it keeps, it's, it's stuff that 
every fan is going to latch onto one thing and unfortunately the the person creating it doesn't necessarily latch on either to that character or in the same way which is again kind of the problem when everybody latches onto Boba Fett but then George says okay I still like this character but he's not who you think he is and in my Mm -hmm. case in my case it's like well Dave you created Satine like I mean I don't I don't know if he really wanted to I think that that was more again George Lucas and Henry Gilroy were kind of the ones who were like let's give Obi-Wan a love interest but he was her character or she was his character like he he created that story so I just kind of go like what do you do when the character or when, when the creators that you trust become the ones who betray you yeah that's good that's really good yeah because even this season if there was going to be any cameos this season I really expected Boba Fett to show up with what you did in the book of Boba Fett as making them you know very similar to what you said about the the dialogue on the boat mando and boba had that same type of dialogue and connection in that uh burnout casino about honor and you know you do you really believe in that stuff you know and then boba says well that's good you know let's go to war together and man that would have been some in my opinion maybe it's a stupid idea but i thought it would be some good tension between the two groups to drop in a non-mandalorian mandalorian you know whatever however you want to define him and mando's like hey this guy will help us out in a pinch you know whatever no it's it's not a bad idea you know why because your idea is so much easily it's so much more easily justified by what they set up than what they gave us they have i thought it was like transitioning to that well that's the thing is that that they have r5 there we see r5 watching them go onto this planet r5 is there and r5 has a connection to the republic and to teva so i thought that the whole idea if if it wasn't going to go down the way that i thought in terms of just like the the betrayer being the armorer and axe and the baron like that element i thought for sure that okay well how do we bring in these other characters you're gonna have maybe grogu or somebody else get a message to the fleet and they're going to contact the new republic which actually again if you had any sense of the mandalorian's previous context is actually kind of a big deal because they they very rarely ever asked the Republic for help in the Clone Wars too, until Maul took over and Bo right. and Bo-Katan asks Obi Wan to go back and bring help. And uh, that that story, we never really find out what happens, but I assume that the Republic says no. And so, like all of that context there, it could have been something that was built up as this mythic four decade long story that really actually showcases that the Mandalorians need the Republic, and the Republic has a reason to care about Mandalore. And that also, it, it all, all of that, those kinds of connections, again, would, would have made the rest of the season feel like it has so much weight because we were getting those new Republic um, connections. And we were even getting things like, like uh, Captain or, uh, with, uh, Carson Teva asking for help for the Mandalorians. Again, went right nowhere. There. We're yeah. so much better at this. See, that's what I think. You know, fans, anybody who's listening, if you, if you agree with these thoughts and if you have your own thoughts on how this would have been better, I legitimately want to encourage you and say, you are not crazy. You in your mind are a better storyteller than Jon Favreau was this season. Yeah, And I mean that with all my heart. 
work it the opposite way with Carson. Uh, how do you say his last name? Tiva. 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 I think so. Going, you know, to help the Mandalorians because he's so frustrated with the New Republic and not getting anything done. So yeah, I'm going to work with these guys on the outer rim, you know, uh, you know, in the the back room, you know, you know, under the table kind of deals to keep to find out more. It's man, <laughs> and you just blew my mind right there. That's a whole nother like angle to it that you could have wor- worked. I just, it's not that hard. No, it's not that hard. Because like my, like I said earlier, my thing with the New Republic not showing up and Mandalore being isolated, and which I want them to be. Don't get me wrong, I like that part of them, but then we're constantly complaining about stories being the same and it's like well you just made the story you made mandalore exactly the same as it was when it 30 years ago Mm -hmm. so i mean that that is a problem for me too like as much as i love the fact that like even if they had mentioned satine and all of that context that i wanted them to bring in it does bug me that mandalore is not in a different place at all I mean, I mean, yeah, we, we had we had the Empire come in, but like Sundari fell before the Empire. Sundari fell because of Death Watch and because of, well, not because of Bo-Katan, but she was there. And right. it just kind of like, like, we don't know what would have happened. I assume that Mandalore still would have fallen. Satine still would have died if that hadn't happened, if they had gone into the Empire era. Like, that still would have been the case. But regardless, Bo-Katan's redemption of the planet and of her place in this story was effective but it's just unfortunate that it took her 30 years to get back to her sister's status quo and that really bugs me because what does it say like like the message if you're somebody who knows the clone wars the message is one thing and that's satine Kreese was always right she was right about everything and people will look at that and be like oh she's a pacifist and she's you know she's she's destroying their warrior heritage and i'm like no if you watch the clone wars she is consistently set up as the only person who knows anything she is the only one who recognizes that the clone wars were a lose-lose situation and that the better option was just to not play and it killed her but she still won in that regards and so not only do they not bring that aspect into Bo fighting to redeem her sister's legacy but what they do succeed in doing is getting back to the very place that it was when Satine was in power. And I just think that that's kind of ironic. That's not true. The one, the one thing is that in spite of the fact that the planet was glassed, now things are starting to regrow. I don't know how that works. I don't know how the, the glassing woke up all of these monsters under Sundari, which apparently had just been hibernating under that domed city. And I'm, I'm sitting here going, that would have been a fun Clone Wars arc to get the Mythosaur and that Grievous guy. John Favreau really likes his monsters. There are a lot of monsters this season. Get it? Why? Tell a good story. You don't need monsters. I think it's to make up for the lack of a good story. Not that it wasn't good. I and you know, as much as I talked down about it, it. I enjoyed it. But yes, you can enjoy you can enjoy a story that's not good, and it can still be not good. I I just I yeah I'm gonna say it. I I don't think the story in this season was very good. I thought it was just 
definitely not as deep as I thought it was going to go. It barely scratched the surface of any conflict between two different ideologies coming together and fighting for a common cause. Um, I, I hate to compare other shows, but that's what we do because it's the easiest thing to do. You know, I really expected some, you know, Game of Thrones type stuff between the leaders of the groups. You know, even, you know, even if you think back to Game of Thrones, like even the Northern Army that we were in a show where no one is good, we kind of thought they were the good guys, you know, but you had your Rose Bolton, you know, who was... Yeah, he fought for the good guys, but he was bad. I expected more of those types of Mandalorian leaders, you know, vying for the influence of Din or trying to get the Darksaber themselves to become mm -hmm. Mandalore. Or how about even Paz, who tried to take it from him in Boba Fett? Right. So much good tension. So, so, so many. Again, this... I'm just so frustrated because I really did not connect with these characters prior to this season that yeah. wasn't the that wasn't the fault of the show it's just that for me my mandalore is not the mandalore that they were talking about but all of these characters really became compelling to me this season because as we've talked about the potential for the tension and the character development it just felt to me like it was all there every single one of these main characters had a different and compelling reason to be at odds with all of the mm -hmm. other characters. And they just, they did not, they did not focus on a single one of them. I would agree. Also, I think how, how about, or yeah, yeah, finish that. I would think, you know, as much as the book of Boba Fett we talk about, or at least I do, I think it was very hampered by COVID and seen like a bunch of different things that were filmed and then tried to make the best out of what you had and make something cohesive out of it. I think to me, and I'm going to keep harping on this point. I feel like this season was, we really had something built up for Mandalore, the Mandalore storyline, and it got cut way down to go to Ahsoka and heir to the empire. But what's, what's so funny about that is that I, I totally agree but when I think about, you know, I just keep using the word inefficiency. This storytelling yeah. was not efficient, even with what we were given. I mean, eight episodes isn't a lot of time, but you could have told a compelling and efficiently written story that keeps these characters at odds with each other, that, you know, that that focuses, maybe maybe that's what you needed to do was just focus on Mandalore and not bring in um the the new republic story and we didn't need to see who rescued grogu i loved that moment but we didn't need to see that and take up that time if it would have been a reason to make this story more you know deeper with these characters that we're supposed to care about and i also think that the the, the big thing here too is just that it seems like they were not willing to make any decisions about the characters i.e setting people up who could have been spies and you know, there's there's no spy setting up the, these character tensions and just not addressing them and suddenly everybody's friends. How about also the fact that like, what message are we supposed to take away from the show in regards to Din and his cult? We've we've had this show from the get go. Like we know, especially people who knew Clone Wars, knew Rebels, we knew that this was not 
mainstream Mandalorian culture. We always had this sense that there was something different about this covert because they're not living as the Mandalorians that we've seen in the Clone Wars. Season two, we get that thrown in our face because Bo tells him straight out, you're in a cult. It's called the Children of the Watch and you broke away from Mandalorian society. You don't take your helmets off. Like this is not what other people do. And then we got the armorer reaffirming in Boba Fett that she thinks that the that Bo-Katan and the whole Kree's family are heretics. And at the end there, what are we supposed to walk away with with our understanding of what Din's covert is? You either could have had the armorer coming to the understanding that she was wrong and her tenants are wrong and that there is a different way to be a Mandalorian. Or you could have Bo-Katan coming to the realization that, you know, for whatever reason, her assumptions about this cult were incorrect and that they're not a cult. They're just a different sect of society. We didn't get either of that. So we still, we just, they gave us no overarching message in terms of like how we should relate to these different factions that they have introduced. And that just bothers me too, because I look at that and I go, that's not a storytelling element. They're not, they're not waiting to bring that element in. I think it's just lazy. I think it's just a matter of they weren't willing to make any firm decisions and actually give us a message about what's going on in this world. I would completely agree with that. There is a very uh, big sense of unwillingness to commit to the story and really delve into it. Get into the meat and potatoes, if you will. But I don't know. Maybe we'll get it later on. I I can always hope for that. You can. I think I'm done hoping though. I think I'm I, I think that I'm I think I will always enjoy watching new Star Wars, but I'm honestly so disillusioned by this this whole season. And it's it's and it's not just John and Dave. It's also the fact that it does seem pretty clear like they they filmed other things. And it it could be that. Dave and John filmed well John mainly but you know John filmed other things and then for whatever reason you know I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist I do not I I personally don't like it when people are like oh Kathleen Kennedy just bombed this whole thing I don't believe that I don't think that Kathleen Kennedy has the power that people think she has I do think that she has made some creative missteps along the way but I don't think that she does what a lot of people think that she does but there are there there is the element of st- the storytellers who are giving us these stories do often have to the stories that they give us have to come through the the sieve of the fact mm-hmm. that it's coming through Disney. So if you like we could have I, I truly do believe that two two episodes are shot. And for whatever reason, I think that either it was in an attempt to um subvert the leaks that had been that had come out, or it was Disney saying, no, you can't kill your main character. You can't you can't have him tortured. You can't do all these things. And oh, Pedro Pascal can't even be there anyway. But for whatever reason, I think that they would have been willing to go that far. And it might have been that extra factor of having to conform to what Disney wants for this show. I don't really know what to do with that because if we can no longer expect at least cohesive storytelling for something like this, it kind of makes me think 
that what I have to do in order to keep myself sane is I have to distance myself from the desire for new content. And I have to instead just focus on the celebration and the fandom and the fanfic and all of this stuff. And I have to tell myself that is the content that I'm here for and everything else is a bonus. That content, that fanfic is not a supplement to canon because I can't really expect much from canon anymore. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't really thought of it that way. But I will agree with you that I think there was a lot that I've, yeah, that there probably was two episode shot. Because one thing that really stuck out to me was the threat of the TIE fighters. Um, Bo-Katan and Din Djarin took out like a half dozen TIE fighters by themselves. So there were plenty of other Fang fighters and Gauntlet starfighters. What was the big threat? And where did they go? The like TIE they, fighters? Yeah, they attacked the cruiser and then like where did they, they go? go anywhere. Yeah, where Gideon, did they go? Gideon that? said Gideon said he was they were gonna attack the fleet. What's so funny is that that we either should have gotten a big space battle, or what I thought was going to happen is that he told Bo that they were going to go and destroy her fleet, and she got really upset about that. But then they weren't gonna go and destroy the fleet because of the the agreement that he had made with the armorer. I thought that that was the whole point that that he he tells Bo that they're going to be destroyed, but instead he leaves them alone because he has made a deal with the armor to say, "I get Mandalore, but you get the Mandalorians." And then the man the 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 uh, Mandalorians could have all gone back to Navarro, where they see that's the thing too, is that <clears throat> why do we get this whole episode called the Pirate, where they help Navarro and then they give them a home on Navarro and then immediately after they have a home the armor says i guess it's time to take back mandalore and right. it's just like it, it doesn't make any sense because and, and and that was again a reason why i suspected her as a, a spy because i thought it's really sus suspect that she would have just been given the opportunity to live again basically out in the open and as a part of a society and now she's saying bokatan you saw this mythosaur this is clearly a new age for Mandalore. Let's go and take our planet back. And oh, by the way, didn't you have all of these followers who followed you the first time? Why don't you go and find them and we'll all go to Mandalore and then we'll have them all in one place. And then I can get Moff Gideon to come and destroy you while I take all of your Mandalorians and reunify them under my cult and they can all wear their helmets again forever and ever. Amen. You know, I, I agree. It did really seem kind of sus. And that seemed like that was where they were going. Maybe there was a, a version that ended that way. But again, that's, you know, young Star Wars fan in me hates the possibility of missing out on a big space battle. And did. from, yeah, just from, like I said, you know, the TIE fighters just disappear and there's leaks and there's Lego sets of, you know, TIE interceptors and Fang fighters. And I just didn't get the whole why it was such a big threat. Because it wasn't. And I mean, I, honestly, like I get I get really annoyed by the fact that I see people on Twitter. People that I respect in terms of their overall opinions of Star Wars who are kind of just willing to be like, it was great. 10 out of 10, no notes. And I'm like, 
truly? Like, I, I know that you have better thoughts than that. So are you just trying to get on the radar of people I know. who have power or what? Like, I know. I just, I just look at this and I go, you know what? I would love to be on the radar of people with power in this show. I, I would love, I would love to tell these stories. I really, really would, but I'm not going to get there by saying that everything that's come before has been 10 out of 10. No, no, it's perfect. This is not, I'm going to call out. I, I, I think for me, I've always been the person to want to give the benefit of the doubt. I do not like when people judge a, a, a story before it's come to its conclusion. I always say like, let's give the storytellers their time to tell it. But then when they've told it, I'm also not willing, like I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pull my punches. If you tell me a bad story, I'm going to call it out. And in this case, I just feel like this was, I cannot really think of a single redeeming feature of this storyline um, you know, beyond the fact that, like, I really do think that, like, Bo and Din are compelling. I really hope that we see more of them. I love Bo and Grogu and the whole little family that they're creating. I mean, I, I love that. I think that a lot of that has, like, that, I think that that is coming from Katie and from Brendan and even, like, literally even from the Grogu puppeteers. Like, they're the ones who are kind of giving that content. When it comes to the actual story, though, there's not a single thing that I can really say in favor of this show in terms of the way that they utilized the eight episodes of this season that they had. I agree. I enjoyed it, but I think the story just should have been a lot deeper. I would have, I definitely think it needed at least two more episodes, yeah. possibly four. Yeah, I agree. So, well, that was, you know, a very long conversation. We didn't even get to celebration. So I don't know that. Might I'm be so something. sorry. No, it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly it no, was really I, it was really nice to process this with someone who yeah. also has deep thoughts about this and and isn't willing to just say like oh all all star wars is good star I, I think all star wars is worthy of critique and the hope is that you I can find the hope is that you can find things to celebrate and there's and, and then there's things to criticize and i hope that like even with kind of the the dumping that we've done on this episode like i mean the reason why we dump is because we love this show. It's because we love these characters. It's because we love this franchise and because we know how good it can be. So, you know, I, mm -hmm. I hope that that, you know, to our listeners, you know, I hope that that comes through that, that the criticism that we're offering here is not meant to solely tear down. It's meant in the, you know, most genuine feeling that we want more from the storytellers and that, hopefully they will recognize that and just give it a little bit more next time it's it's just mythos it's just it's it's just go and read the greek myths like they're not it's not brain surgery it's just give me sisyphus with the rock give me you know like i just i don't know what it is like maybe that's what it is maybe maybe we're sisyphus and the rock is star wars that we want to be better than it is <laughs> we keep getting disappointed I know. I, and I always say the same thing because it does sound like I'm overly critical, but it, it all comes from just loving the story, loving these characters. I mean, I'm the first one to admit the when I first started reading about the Mandalorian and what it was going to be about, I thought, oh, this just doesn't sound good at all. I don't, I'm not into it. And then I saw the trailer and I've been hooked ever since. I love Din and I love Grogu. You know, I love all these Mandalorian characters. I'm so, you know, the 
amount of enjoyment from finally seeing the Mandalorian storyline in live action, it's indescribable to me, but I just wish it had been just a little deeper. Yeah. And like I said, maybe we will go back to that at some point. There's always that possibility. For sure. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll still be a background point in the next season. You know, we, we've heard that the next season is Din more. It kind of sounds like it'll be more of the side quest thing, you know, in, in terms of he's just taking, you know, these different assignments for the New Republic. And that'll, I'm sure, is going to lead pretty quickly into this stuff with Thrawn. But I'm hoping that the Mandalorian context that we just came from is still going to be part of that background i hope that we still see you know i guess Bo's like her sister now and she's probably not going to have a reason to leave the planet since she rules it but i still hope that she's able to i still want to see katie sackoff be able to you know be a badass and and Me do too. lots of stuff so she's i mean she rocked it this season i really hate that this season did not do her justice because she she was just a shining star and in spite of the fact that Pedro wasn't there, like, I I thought that, like, again, I like these characters. I really, really do. In fact, I'm surprised by how much I like a lot of these characters now. I want a good story for them. So I've never been, I, I hate to say this to you, I've never been a big Bo-Katan person, but her with the Darksaber flying with the jetpack, I was, I was in. That's so it. good. Yeah, it's so good. So good. So good. Well, I mean, you know, I'm sure that we'll have lots more to say, you know, even uh, later on, you know, I'm sure that this is, this is the kind of thing where it's like you, you continue to think on these things and the, the reaction that you had the day afterwards yeah. is, you know, it, it, your point of view might not change, but you sure think about it a lot. So yeah, at least, my, at least my I problem do. is I can never stop thinking about it. I know. So. so, I mean, hopefully we will be able to have, um, new things to look forward to i mean again i i mean i struggle with the fact that like my my expectations are just kind of lowered like i just that's just kind of how it is hopefully that that's not the case forever I'm really excited for andor again i really love that but um i'll admit like for for me like the idea of looking forward to ahsoka really isn't the um it's not the excitement that i think it is for some other people but I um I do think that it'll be good to focus on a different aspect of Star Wars than The Mandalorian. I will also say that I'm very excited to just kind of not have Star Wars right now. I did miss, I, I missed being able to get up and see my little clan of three yesterday. Mm. But I think that we need a break because we've had constant Star Wars on Wednesday mornings. Um, I mean, how long has it been? We got obi-wan in last summer you know andor obi-wan um bad batch mando am i forgetting anything it's been constant yeah it's been pretty steady yeah no i'm i think that this is a good time to have a little bit of a break and hopefully it'll um hopefully ahsoka will be worth it and that will kind of be a little bit perked up for it one thing that i will be interested in seeing because I am the Star Wars guy where I work. So everyone asks me questions every, you know, Wednesday to Thursday is constant Mando talk. Hey, can you explain this to me? Can you, you know, what about this? Blah, blah, blah. I will be paying more attention to see how much if, or if any is discussed about any of the other series. I don't anticipate it ever being as much as Mando, but I'm hoping that I can lead more people to watch and or oh, you, 
You mean questions from coworkers about yes. these other series? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I suppose that Mando was special and that it was the thing that everybody tuned into to see yeah. what it I'm, was going to be like for Disney Plus. I'm hoping it leads to more people watching Ahsoka and then watching Ahsoka, going back and watching other things. So just be curious to something to keep a, mm-hmm. I'll be keeping an eye on. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it'll be exciting. I mean, we've got a lot that is coming down the pipeline. I mean, you know, uh, maybe the next time that I'm on, I'll have to talk a little bit more about celebration and everything. That yes, went on, please. But I'm really it, sorry that we didn't get to that. <laughs> No, that's okay. You know, I think that this was just a, it, you know, we needed two hours instead of one hour to get through <laughs> all of this. But um, it, celebration was really exciting in terms of what they were showing is coming down the pipeline. I was actually surprised by how much they have coming down the pipeline because I kind of thought that the celebration would be a little bit um, of a disappointment compared to what it was last year. Um, but, you know, it's it's things like the Acolyte, which I was not at all terribly excited for until I mean like I saw it on screen and it's High Republic and they're in the white and gold Jedi robes and oh my gosh I'm so excited and um you know it was supposed to be a big secret but Brandon Strow is coming to the screen I'm really excited she's one of my girls she's one of my favorites um but it's so it's like stuff like that that like I was not expecting to be excited for it's the fact that like the the kids who are starring in uh, skeleton crew they seem really cute and they seem really excited yeah, I agree that's I, and that that's where I just kind of go you know I think that the I think that the hard thing about Star Wars is that we're progressively getting more and more away from the stuff that is the cultural touchstones because we're not in the Skywalker saga anymore but my hope is that as that continues to be the case because we just really can't go back to that i hope that these new things do become like cultural touchstones too like like other things can become big other things can be appreciated um the same way that george lucas's star wars has been so i'll be really excited to see if there's anything that really catches the the um Mm. kind of the you know the, the cultural zeitgeist you know mando kind of did that um, when it came to Disney Plus and as the, like kind of the first show, um, I don't know if anything that's coming up will hit those same levels, but it'll be really interesting. We will continue to watch and enjoy Star Wars and get I hurt will. and then talk about it. <laughs> obsess over it nonstop. That's right. But, you know, thanks for listening, guys. I hope that, uh, you know, this was either. Um, I hope that if you if you really liked the the season of Mando, I hope that you uh, were able to listen to our points and take that with grace. And if you didn't like it, I hope that we gave voice to that because I think that that's important too. If you have different thoughts that we didn't touch on, or if you want to affirm something that we did say, feel free to reach out to us because that's always fun to see your reactions too. Um, you know, so reach out to us on on uh, I'm on Twitter. That's the easiest way to reach out to me is at, at Dark Saber Light. Tweet, tweet me all of your your thoughts and, and I'll pass it along to all of the guys. But Rule the Galaxy, find that on multiple platforms. And I think that we'll be back next week with more celebration of this franchise that we love so much. Have a wonderful night and may the force be with you all. Bye.